this is the first book club that we're actually able to use the new opening from the beginning to the end of the serial. And welcome back, everybody. It's October 2023. It's me, Frank, and I'm going to introduce, reintroduce you to a good friend, good buddy. And this is the second book now we get to do together. It is Jay Dyer. What's going on, Jay? Hold on, you're still muted. What's up, dude? Good to be here. There he Thank is. Thank you. My gosh. So, uh, last time we were together, we had, um, I don't know, some pretty down subject matter. We were we went into Brave New World in a, in the, to a depth that I've never done before, and it was uh, it was eye-opening. It was a little bit uh, heartbreaking, and it left you a little bit empty inside, but very necessary reading. Um, this one is going to be a little bit more action-packed. It's going to be a little bit more spicy. We've got Mario Puzo's The Godfather, and... Um, how general thoughts? What do you think so far of the first eighty-eight pages? Well, I did. Uh, was the first four chapters for me that came out to almost a hundred. Okay. So, was the first four? Is that right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Then you, you just we probably have a different copy that I have. Then yeah, different um, editions. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure we've all seen the movies. Uh, it was a lot more depth than I expected in the sense of symbolism. You know, the films don't have a lot of symbolism per se. Uh, they're very complex stories and they get into a lot of real geopolitical and conspiracy events, um, but they're not really that symbolic. There's not a lot of depth in that sense. Um, a lot of human psychology and, and depth in that regard. A lot of power plays and chessboard type machinations depth in that sense but the book uh, i was just surprised at how much symbolism is there which i'll get into with um, don corleone and uh, his relationship to god and him being like god him hearing confessions uh you know he, he's much like a, an alternate version of a priest and so there's a lot of death symbolism that comes into it names have significances so that was a, a surprise but i'm definitely enjoying the book um and appreciating the movie at least part one more because so much uh so much translated well into the movies you know a lot of times the movies don't adapt books this long very well oh yes Plus, uh godfather one and two adapted very well well you know the uh, this is and i i've read i've read so much about the the making of the 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 movie that I couldn't wait to read the book because I've read so much about the writing of the book. Mario Puzo's, first of all, a, a Pulp Fiction writer, you can tell from this. I mean, it is just all, it's just the action, it's sex, it's everything. It's right in your face, and it the action never ceases. Even when we're talking about conversation, it is enthralling conversation. As you said there, I mean, even even the quieter moments are really profound. Like when he when uh, Don Corleone is is uh, with his his sons to go visit uh, to go visit Janko uh, Abandando. You know that 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 moment where he's seeing him through to death. That it's a quieter moment of the first hundred or eighty eight pages, but it's still very very profound. And you can also, like you said there too, the um, the political machinations. You can see why. Uh, Machiavelli is very important to uh, a lot of people in organized crime, especially when they were uh, inside a prison. They didn't had a lot. They didn't have a lot of time to do anything else but read. Machiavelli was a very, very big part of their uh, of their reading materials there. So, um, so yeah, 
just I'm just going to give you my notes. Stop along the way. Jump in wherever you want. And once we get the skeletal structure down, we'll just jump into the thread like we usually do. Um, it starts off with three people who need favors. You got Americo uh, Bonacera, who suffers the indignity of being an Amer in an American courtroom and having two savage beasts who beat his daughter to a pulp walk free with a suspended sentence. He doesn't know where to go to. Johnny Fontaine who has turned into a spineless slave to vice in Hollywood, and uh, Nazarene, the baker, who wants to have one of his associates, Enzo, uh, made into a citizen so he's not repatriated back to Italy and he can marry uh, his daughter. Um, all this is set up in that wonderful wedding uh, scene uh, for Connie Corleone, uh, where Don Vito, the head of the preeminent New York families, um, or the, the preeminent New York family, um, he's compelled by Sicilian tradition to not refuse requests on from friends on his daughter's wedding day. And that's where we're set up, and this is why the wedding scene in the movie was taken to such a degree of authenticity. The people they brought in, um, uh, Puzo was a very big part of the screenwriting, the screenplay there too, so that's why it translated so well. But uh, just right there, the setup right there, anything that you want to add to that, Jay? I think a lot of this is pretty accurate in the sense of how things in this time period of the 40s and 50s went down. Um, there's a great book that I don't even remember who somebody recommended uh, to me, and it's by John Davis, and it's called Mafia Dynasty. And I'm a good ways into that book. There's entire chapters on um, Sammy the Bull and John Gotti. It's really a history of not just the mafia, but later on in the book, it focuses on the Gambinos. And I think what we're going to notice in the novel is that various key characters are a combination of real characters. So, um, no, I read several articles and, and literary theorists and historians talking about the novel and. Um, I'm not saying every one of these Amerigo or you know this other guy. I think Johnny Fontaine is is somebody famous. We'll get to him in, the, in a minute. But yeah. they're basically uh, in the case of the Dawn. I think you're going to get somebody like Carlo Gambino. A lot of what we get in the Dawn's background, Castellano, uh, Corleone, it matches up to a lot of Carlo and his background and others as well. You could say Vito Genovese plays a role in some of these. So they're, they're sort of a conglomerate. Um, and we'll see, I think Lucky Luciano, some of that plays into to Michael. Um, not exactly, but so the real world is really just being combined into fictional characters. But I would say what we see here is pretty accurate. He's realizing that he can't get justice in the, in the normal. They're all real, realizing that as immigrants, they're limited in terms of what they feel they can get in terms of normal court justice. So now they're having to go back to their roots which is the very thing that America is kind of getting them, and Americanism is getting them to question. What's your allegiance to? And allegiance and Americanism are a huge theme throughout this novel. And uh, it's quite a critique, quite a, quite a commentary, because Don Vito Corleone represents the old ways, the old family, the tradition, the homeland. And then the new generations are typically trying to grapple with maintaining those traditions and that heritage yet adapting to the new challenges and the new realities and at times maybe even leaving this life right early on michael doesn't want any part of this <clears throat> so yeah. a lot of profound uh historical and political um you know tensions set up at the very beginning of the novel 
Yeah, I, it isn't. It isn't until page twenty-five that we have Bonacera's meeting with Don Vito, and that is where we have the line that actually opens up the movie. That that Coppola said, "This has got to open up the movie right here." I believe in America, and it made this. Uh, I made this into a theme of a broadcast that I did earlier on in this year when I asked the question, "Are we all Bonacera?" You know, here's a man who believed in the American dream. He invested Mm -hmm. in it. He built his family and his fortune here. And then when he needed help the most, he saw that he was low man on the totem pole. And I think that we can all relate to that these days. Only the question is for us, who is our Don Vito? Um, that's, that's uh, That's the burning question. At least he had somewhere to go to, an alternate. And, um... And yeah, it, it starts taking on that very godlike, uh, that godlike, uh, material there. So, uh, it sends up this, this wonderful scene at the wedding where you get to really get, uh, introduced to almost every major character. Um, Sonny, he's all fire and fury. Fredo, cap- it, 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 the thing with Fredo in the book is he is, he's capable in this book. He's a capable man. He's meek. He's softer than the rest of them, but he isn't a he isn't a totally bumbling idiot. Um, where they they add that kind of vulnerability with John Cazal in the in the movie there, and then you have Michael who's cold, calculating a little bit on the outside. And the cr- thing I think is really incredible is that the together Jay, all three of them make one complete Don Vito. I mean that the three of them complete. If you if you put them together. That's Vito. He can be all those three things, but his sons have been broken down into three distinct qualities that you you need to have balance with. So, uh, yeah, what did you think about the introduction of those main characters? Yeah, that's a really profound point. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah, you can tell right away, like we said, that Vito, Don Vito Corleone is uh, not happy with Michael's um, disgust with the family. And I think a lot of times younger people you know michael has just gone off to war he's said to be a war hero he has a lot of courage now he wants to go to college and be a math professor um you know he doesn't want anything to do with this life he wants to be fully an american i mean all the patriotism and going to war this might i think in don Vito's mind this is michael's way of rebelling right Mm -hmm. he's not having a 17 year old uh you know drug breakdown rebellion he's having a i'm gonna i'm gonna be a true American and show my dad and my family that all this silly, uh, you know, Sicilian Italian homeland stuff, it's not, it's inferior to America. And that's actually a lot of, a lot of people at that time felt this tension. Uh, this comes up in the Davis book and the history of the character of Carlo. And because when Carlo came over, he was, um, they weren't wealthy. They were, they were not a wealthy family, but within a generation or two, a lot of these families were able to attain quite a bit of wealth. And so you had this tension again between the economy in Sicily was bad. Uh, a lot of immigrants came over to make a better life for themselves and their for their family. <clears throat> but then as you integrate into American society, you more and more distance yourself from where you came from. Mm. And again, that tension is there because part of the purpose of the organized you know crime syndicate here or or the the costa nostra was to preserve some of these traditions at least that's what they believe they were doing <clears throat> yes and you know in the discussions we have with sammy you know sammy talks about how there's this tradition of a lot of this going back a thousand years and 
This is this has to do with the idea that the Sicilians thought that they were really the bearers of culture. So they were the ones that really bore uh, high culture, not just to Italy, but to the rest of Europe. They saw the rest of Europe as sort of barbarians and they themselves kind of the inheritors of, of the Roman, the, you know, the classical tradition, hence that love for Machiavelli. That's actually one of the early mobsters uh, in the first mob war. I can't remember if it's Joe the Boss or Little Caesar, but one, one of them was actually like that. He was obsessed with uh, Machiavelli. He learned Latin. And so he was, he was like, he was going to study to become a Roman Catholic priest, and then he decided he wanted to be a mobster. Uh, but he would ba- he would make everybody in his crew uh, read Machiavelli exactly like you're saying. So again, I don't want to I don't mean to get too far afield, but all of this is really you know super duper um, well done in terms of like taking historical realities and putting it into a story. And I like that right away at the uh, wedding that we have here. And again. Uh, I might be stretching a little bit here, but I think right away we're seeing a lot of symbolism because in Catholic theology, Orthodox theology, you have this idea that church, the celebration of the church service is the marriage feast of the Lamb, uh, of the Book of the Apocalypse. So the liturgy, the Mass, is supposed to be the the Lamb's feast. And this is kind of, I think, uh, a parallel to that, that this is an altar church, so to speak. This is Don's church. This is the wedding feast, and people are coming to him and petitioning him like the judge, uh, almost the way that Scripture talks about, you know, when Jesus says, if a judge will grant your petition, if you keep, you know, sort of pestering him, how much more so God? Right. And we'll see constantly throughout the first four chapters that Don Corleone is pictured as a divine, patriarchal, godlike figure if not in his own mind, to many of those who seek his patronage, seek his favors, seek his justice. So they seek him out for divine justice. And the very title of the book, I mean, yes, it's, a, it's you know, when somebody's baptized, they have a sponsor, a godfather. Yeah, we know that. But it's also like he's God the Father. Yes. yes. And I never picked up on that until getting into the book. No, it is, and I, 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 I may be wrong, um, but you're talking about. Um, are you? Were you talking about Joe Masseria? The, I think uh, it is the 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 boss who. I mean, he that was part of that first big war there too. Yeah, Joe um, the boss and Little Caesar, and then I think you're right. Joe the boss is the one that mastered yeah. Latin and wanted everybody to read the. Yeah, Luciano. Luciano. Uh, he 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 worked for Joe Masseria, and then he eventually helped organize his his assassination. So. That's um, that's I think that's who you're talking about. Um, all right, yeah. What, the, this is see, this is it, and, and of course, you know, there, there's so much symbolism. Then there's just so much. There's so much. I, I, I there's a lot of fun going on here. I mean, first of all, I love the whole um, gatekeeper keymaster relationship between Sonny and Lucy. He's got the big pecker. She's got a big vagina. So they just <laughs> they just kind of went together. <laughs> Oh man, you know it's one thing to have um, a, a, a man's naked body uh, described in a book. It's another thing to have a big vagina described. That's the first time for me. Um, but still, uh, we had on page four. I was on page twelve or so. Page fourteen, Michael. Uh, you're saying it before. We're talking about the rebelliousness of going off and fighting the war. That's where he says. Uh, I think that's when Don Vito says he performs these miracles for strangers. 
Um, and and mm-hmm. I, that's sort of the one thing I love about these books, Jay, is that just like with Game of Thrones when I was reading those books, the casting that was done by HBO and the casting that was done by um, by uh, Paramount here um, was, uh, was so Im- impeccably done that yeah. I'm having such a great time hearing Brando say all this stuff. I'm 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 hearing Robert Duvall, I'm hearing James Kahn. It's it's working so well for me. We get to uh, meet Luca Brazzi for uh, who is a far more imposing character in the book. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he's imposing in the movie as well, but without the background you get in the book, he almost takes on a gentle giant sor- sort of persona. And in this, we realize that he is an absolute animal and that the only person that gives him pause and, and, and makes him a little bit nervous is Don Vito. Um, Michael, there's another little thing here that I picked up about Michael. In the, um, in the book, he seems to be the heir apparent, which is not the case in the movie. Um, yeah. He seems to be a lot more shielded from that life in the movie. And in this, he seems like he's on the fringes, yes, but he's the one that Vito always wanted to take over, whereas... In the movie, Vito wanted him to become a, become a senator, a doctor, to, to be outside of this life. And um, that definitely would have been the life that best served Michael because it turned him into a cold, isolated monster for the rest of his, uh, his days. But um, all right, now we have some other parts here. And just jump in whenever. On page 32 is when we start really getting into all of the, the confessions and we start getting into all of the asking of help. Uh, I love when Don Vito screams at Johnny Fontaine for being weak, for being a slave to vice, or it pretty much orders him to essentially detox from Hollywood for a month while they work out a solution for the movie that he wanted to do in, in uh, Waltz's film. Um, this is the reason why Sinatra hated Puzo for this, and they almost had they came they almost came to blows in in Vegas. You know when when Puzo yes. was researching for all this, he was a degenerate gambler. He took all of his advance money, went to Vegas, and just played at the tables and talked to these connected guys, and that's how he built up all of the uh, a, a lot of the character profiles for what he wanted to do. Sinatra, all, they almost came to blows at one point. And uh, it, it's very, very clear that this was the Fontaine character. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that many of the main characters match up to at least a con- maybe a conglomerate in the case of Don or Michael of various uh, bosses. But in the case of the other figures like Johnny Fontaine, it's pretty clear, clearly uh, this is obviously Frank Sinatra. Uh, there's a lot of parallels that show this. Um, both start their career off singing in a band. Um, both get out of that with uh, special help. Both of them have vocal cords getting weak and becoming hemorrhaged. Both of them have their career plummets. And then both of them are put into a famous war movie that wins an award to make him a star again for uh, Frank Sinatra. That was From Here to Eternity with Burt Lancaster. So, yeah, exactly. And then, by the way, the woman, uh, obviously, that mocks him and makes fun of him when she cheats on him is obviously Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Yes, the yeah. famous blonde who slept with everybody. Yeah, and, and and she and she's so um she's she's such a bitch. I mean, so bad how the abuse that he suffers, and of course, you know, to abandon the family, and to uh, have all that going on. Uh, Jerry in the chat room said, "I had read that Johnny uh, Fontaine character was really based on Dean Martin rather than Sinatra." No, Sinatra was a raging drunk. Dean, most of his drinking was acting. 
Um, you can you can talk to you know memoirs from his his children and other people who worked around him. A lot of the time, it was iced tea. It was other things in that uh, that Scotch glass. That was a persona he took on. And if the other thing there too that you read, um, the deeper you go into this book, is that uh, in that that world of connected people, Dean Martin was almost universally loved. Sinatra, it was touch and go. There's a lot of guys that that could have taken him or le- left him, but uh, yeah, that's. Um, Anyway, that's why I just want to throw out there. All right. Well, I mean, it's got to be, I mean, unless Dean Martin slept with Mar- Marilyn Monroe, it's got to be. I mean, her name is Margot, very close to Marilyn, right? They could have. Um, could have taken that? They, they all could have had, had their turn. Who knows? Well, that's true. That's true. But I think it's pretty obvious given the fact that the idea is that if he gets this role, his career will be solidified again. He'll make a comeback. That's exactly what happened to... Uh, Sinatra after From Here to Eternity because it won Academy Award. Mm. So he, they, he won Best Supporting Actor for that. Oh, Sinatra did. Yeah. So behind, in other words, behind, it's yeah, the movie that it talks about putting him in the war movie to revive his career, right in the book. Mm. And then that's actually what happened to Sinatra. He got put in the war movie From Here to Eternity with Burt Lancaster, and that got him a Best Supporting Actor Oscar. It's uh. Yeah, the parallels are you can very, very. Uh, they line up perfectly, which is why there was uh, there was almost problems for Puzo, but they they got worked out eventually. Um, there was at least one big confrontation I knew of. But uh, here's the other thing: Jenko Abandando. We we hear a little bit about him, the consigliere, from whom the name Jenko Olive Oil came. That was a really powerful scene in the hospital as he's dying, asking Don Vito to help see him through to the end, um, so that perhaps he would scare even death away. You can, you can, well, yeah. There's a couple things I want to. I mean, I don't mean to cut you off, but there's a couple things that were earlier on. We had the mention of the importance of bloodline uh, because you know the the it's it's stressed that Tom, the replacement conciliary, is not Sicilian, and this was a deviation on the part of Don Vito from the tradition. And in that, we see that you can't be a, quote, half-breed. You have to be full Sicilian. And so there's an, there's a, a respect for and an appreciation for and perhaps even a quasi-religious significance for bloodlines. Mm-hmm. And that's not unique to the Sicilian tradition here. That is pretty universal in ancient the ancient world with the bloodlines of the gods right the idea that those who rule have a superior genetic so way before dna genetics and epigenetics you had the ancient world europe right medieval europe has this intense interest in in bloodlines and who you marry and who you don't marry so the dawn is very old world in that way that he's very concerned with who marries who and what happens uh, because he's ruling an empire and it's again it's almost like uh it's a, it's a dynasty right it's a royal dynasty that he's going to have to choose who will uh step up to the plate like you said it's different in the book than it is in the movie but um i think that was all i had for that go ahead no okay yeah yeah and 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 you're going to see a lot more of that come to the fore not only just who is going to be the heir 
to everything that uh, Don Vito had had built, along with people like Jenko and Clem, to a large degree uh, Clemenza and Tessio, um, they all came up together. But obviously, the, the Don is um, he, he was the uh, head and shoulders above the rest. You're going to see a lot of that really come to the fore when they have to start deciding what is going to be done with the uh, the business propositions coming from Virgil Salazzo, and um, so that that's coming up next. Now, as far as the uh, the death scene. With Jenko, uh, there is an act. I would, would say that you can find this deleted scene on YouTube. There's actually an entire hour-long compilation of deleted scenes that are really incredible. Um, uh, but that's another one in there that that was in the movie at one point got taken out. But Tom Hagen, uh, the German Irish consigliere, who's going out to California now, and he's going to try to work out this thing with Johnny uh, Johnny's role with Waltz, and then he meets Khartoum. The, uh, the prized stud horse. Also, you see Waltz's penchant for very, very underage girls. And the Hollywood... Yeah, he's a, he's a PEDO, exactly. And the Hollywood moms who are willing to pimp them out, too. Just cold. And uh, it's crazy. On, on page 55, um, there's more on the themes of self-control that are, that are going on. That's another thing here about uh, sacred masculine... Uh, heroic masculinity all throughout of this uh, in page 55 for the first time Walt succeeded in astounding Hagen okay this is where um, Walt reveals that he really wants to just ruin Johnny because he stole a female protege of which he's had thousands over a career and the pettiness really got to Tom he found it inconceivable that a grown man of substance would let such trivialities affect his judgment in an affair of business and of one such importance. In Hagen's world, the Corleone's world, the physical beauty, the sexual power of women carried not the slightest weight in worldly matters. Now tell me that that is not the complete inverse in 2023. That, uh, that, that, that leads everything around. That is the greatest carrot on every stick around us these days. It's probably why we're so out of our minds. Well, I mean, Don Corleone himself uh, mocks this feminism when he is making fun of Johnny Fontaine because when Johnny Fontaine comes to Don Corleone to ask for the help to get this role that he needs to revive his career and he cries about presumably Marilyn Monroe cheating on him uh, Don Corleone makes fun of him and then he slaps him <laughs> if you remember in the movie yeah right? I love it Act like a man. Why can't you act like a man? And then uh, in the novel, it says, he says, women were not made to understand and figure out this world, right? It's up to men to rule this world. And it's a burden that we bear. And that's why you have people like me, because this world is very difficult. So you need people like the Godfather, because uh, he has this line, he says that, you know, friendship is almost the equal of family. And um, people like me exist to help you help you out because he says godfathers exist because one father is not enough in this tough world mm. so you need you need two fathers so you know your church father your human father is going to be limited again uh, when you're at your you know end of your rope you got to turn to Don Vito to get justice to get favors to get whatever it is you're in desperate straits to get but yeah, it's totally anti-feminist. I mean, this is obviously, uh, you know, he's old world. Um, even when he's giving counsel to uh, to Johnny Fontaine, he says, you know, 
why can't you just uh, go back to your wife? And then if you have girlfriends, have your girlfriends. And, you know, Johnny Fontaine says, it's not like that anymore, right? The women today, they're not like the old Italian wives. They don't put up with that. And so Don Corleone is just like, well, you know, you're letting women run your life. You're you're not a man, right? So all of that is, I think, very uh anti-feminist and it's also curious too because don corleone is not pro prostitution it's the tataglia family that's the rival family that was running the prostitution ring and that's part of the reason that he gets suspicious that they might be making moves against him when he turns down the offer to to run drugs right, right. yep so again a lot of really interesting chess moves and um optics is another thing i, t- I took a lot of notes of like you can tell again the Machiavellian uh, ideas of projecting and maintaining power, power relations. Um, for example, Don Corleone is very wise when it comes to these relations, and he he's always trying to put Sonny's rashness in check, and he doesn't want to make an, uh, a false chess move, you know, when it comes to the director or when it comes to any of these other characters that he's dealing with, the hoodlums that need to get beat up. Everything has to be done in just the right, perfect timing and in the right optics way. Um, again, which is all very real, you know, if you read books like History of the, you know, actually History of the Mafia. Yeah, uh, Infamita. That's what the, the what he he uses the word that gets uh, that uh, term gets thrown around a lot. A horrendous act, especially against family, children, even drug use. Um, it's a very big thing about standards and, and protocol and etiquette. And it, as, far, as far as the psychological thing, I think when you bring that up, the, the first thing I think about was on page 59. It's the beginning of chapter two. It's uh, regarding um, it's regarding waltz. They're, now Hagen's back home. They're trying to get ready for this uh, meeting with Virgil Salazzo. But then he's asked, the Don asks uh, Hagen, does this man have real balls? I love that question. Um, does this man have real balls? And then the next, the next uh, paragraph here. Hagen considered what the Don meant by this question. Over the years, he had learned that the Don's values were so different from those of most people that his words yeah. almost could have different meaning. Did Waltz have character? Did he have a strong will? He most certainly did, but he was not what the Don was asking. Did the movie producer have the courage not to be bluffed? Did he have the willingness to suffer heavy financial loss, delay on his movies would mean, uh, or the, the scandal of his big star exposed for user or heroin? The answer was yes, but again, this was not what the Don meant. Finally, Hagen translated the question properly in his mind. Did Jack Waltz have the balls to risk everything, to run the chance of losing all on a matter of principle, on a matter of honor, for revenge? And Hagen smiled and he said, no, he doesn't have balls. And that's when the horse's head went in the bed. And um, I, I love that is just something that is makes just the opening salvo of this book just so awesome. It's the psychology. It's the Machiavellianism. Um, it's the, I mean, it's just everything. I, I love that right there. And then Waltz gets uh, the horse's head on page 62. Really, really un, uh, unbelievable. He, he also shows the same kind of uh, measured chess move patience when it comes to the mistake that Sonny makes when, uh the the Turk comes to offer the drug deal and when the money is mentioned, Sonny just blurts out, you know, that's a lot of money. Look, we should do this, <laughs> right? 
And then that reveals that Sonny then, who is the heir apparent, is divided against the decisions of, uh, you know, the Dawn. Yeah. And that could, that fissure could then be exploited as the novel points out. So there's a lot of really profound human psychology here. And again, power dynamics and projecting power, maintaining power and so forth. I don't know if you, have you seen that? It was kind of a popular book 10 years ago, Robert, I think it's Robert Green, uh, Laws of Power book. No. You know what I'm talking about? It was a really popular book. I think Jordan Peterson had that guy on recently. And uh, it's a lot of what we're reading is in that book. And he, he just kind of collates a bunch of historical examples. of. I mean, it's very similar to Machiavelli and the Prince and all that. But let me show you what, what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah, yeah. what what Jay was talking about, uh, we're going to get to that the Salazzo meeting just coming up next. But, yeah, Sonny, Sonny screws Vito. Uh, we'll, and we'll talk about that in just a second. It's called The Laws of Power. Uh, it was a really popular kind of New York Times bestseller sort of thing. But you know, a lot of what's in here reminds me of the way Don Corleone is acting throughout the novel where he's, you know, he's always concerned with, um, for example, law number one, never outshine the master, right? So underlings, underbosses, it's not in your best interest to, you know, outshine the Don. Law number two, uh, trust your friends, but don't over trust your friends and learn how to use your enemies. That's very much a Don Corleone <laughs> approach. Law number three, conceal your intentions. That's the very thing that the Don tells Sonny. He says, don't tell anybody outside the family what our plans are. Much better to have them guessing than to have them knowing. So, you know, very, very similar to laws huge. of power. That's um, huge. That's, yeah, that, 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 that's it right there. I mean, well, that's that meeting. Well, well, let's do this real quick, and then we'll get to that meeting because that's huge. But as far as um, Waltz, when he gets the horse's head in the bed, which is such a, I mean, that's, that's how most people identify the godfather. They think, think of the horse's head. I right. love this part right here, the underestimating veto. 62. Waltz was not a stupid man. He was merely a supremely egotistical one. He had mistaken the power that he wielded in his world to be more potent than the power of Don Corleone's. Uh, he had merely needed some proof that this was not true. He understood the message that despite all of his wealth, despite all of his contacts with the president of the United States, um, despite all of his claims of friendship with the director of the FBI, an obscure importer of Italian olive oil would have him killed. That is, uh, well, did I, you notice the connection too that it mentions that the Hollywood people are connected to the Pentagon, and it even calls, it even says that Waltz is a filmer of propaganda for the government. Yep. <laughs> so he films. So there's a connection between Hoover, between uh, Jagger Hoover, Pentagon, Hollywood, but the organized crime is also connected as well because if you notice. It, it pointed out that Tom had a gift from one of the higher ups at the Pentagon as well. Yeah, you and they have that? they have senators, they have judges. Yeah. Um, but you know that's just one of those things where you wonder, hey, uh, it, maybe it all held each other in balance. They all held each other in check at one point. Now there's only one real gang on the uh, on the scene. Right. But well, I'll, let me read real quick what it yeah. says. Jack Waltz was one of the three most important producers in Hollywood. He was the owner of his own studio. And he had dozens of stars under contract. He was on the president of the United States Advisory Council for War Information, the Cinematic Division, which meant simply that he made propaganda movies. Yeah. So here you have Puzo telling us. And by the way, he's also a Hollywood elite PEDO. 
So here you have right now, everything that we are learning about and figuring out in 2020, 2023 was in this 1969 classic novel. That's that, that, the, and the storytelling stretches back to the late forties. I mean, we're still talk, we're talking about uh, you know Michael. Right. Michael goes to the wedding dressed in his uh, marine fatigues, you know. So that's uh, this is we haven't even gotten into the fifties yet. So yeah, does it say what year? What I, I didn't even catch it. What year is it supposed to be? Like the wedding? Do we know what year that is? I don't know if it. I don't know if that slips at all. I I think I'm just going by what I have internalized from all the years of watching the movies. Um, but I. I, I think that this is shortly after the war. So I that's... Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's shortly after. Yeah, because it calls him a war hero, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and part two, I, which I think is actually combined into this book, I think that a lot of what's in, what's in it uh, is. part yeah, two, right. yeah. uh, that, that is mainly in the 50s. So, all right, so the, now the big thing is the Salazzo meeting. And as you said right there, uh, it's a meeting about heroin. It's a meeting about wanting and needing the Don's political protection, which would evaporate uh, if he start, if everybody started knowing that he, uh, knew that he was dealing in heroin and not gambling. And then Sonny screws Vito by opening up his mouth and showing Salazzo that he is hot for the deal. He when when Salazzo says Salazzo says that uh, Vito's two million dollar investment would be guaranteed by the Tatalia family. Uh, that made Sonny blurt out, you're telling me that the Talias are going to are going to guarantee our entire investment and uh, Vito shoots him a look, apologizes for the youth of the of today who doesn't know to shut up, but too much has already been said. Salazzo knows that even though he's being rejected by Vito, if he now shoots, kills, eliminates Vito with the support of the Tatalia family behind him, he will have somebody to negotiate with in the Corleone family because Sonny, uh, who is the up-and-coming Don that everybody assumes, is uh, is really looking to get into the heroin business. So um, that's when we have the setup of Vito getting shot three months later. Paulie, Paulie Gatto is not around, which is interesting because you don't get too much of him in the uh, in the movie. To the point where I thought that Paulie was just a a guy that in the movie that Sonny just just pulled the trigger on just for the hell of it, but in the book it seems like Paulie really was. You get a little bit more of him as an up and coming uh, mafioso character, and maybe he really was on the setup, you know, working with the setup to uh, to have Vito assassinated. So there's that. What do you think about all that? I, well, hold on, because I, I just remembered something else I wanted to mention. I don't mean to change the subject, but I forgot that I wanted to mention that when he when he was at the casket of the guy dying with with cancer, the previous uh, conciliary, right? He was the previous conciliary that was dying with cancer. Is that right? Jenko, yeah, yeah. When he was at the casket, he this is a really important part for Don, the Don's sort of um, God the Father type character. They have this discussion where he says, stay with me, um, let me confess to you. And he says, uh, my sins are great. And then he says, well, I'll have a bunch of masses said for you. And he says, I will intercede. And so even on his deathbed, he's you know basically asking the Don to grant him favors for the afterlife. I know. And then he, he says, you, you even have the ability to turn off or to, to ward off uh, the Grim Reaper when he shows up. So can you ward him off? 
Don Corleone. He says, you and he, you and he are in a uh, a covenant. You guys were in a, uh, a re- he says, you're you're bound together with him. So so the Don is not just a grantor of favors. He's also divine justice. He's, he's, he's the Don of death. And there's many places where he's equated both to life and to death. There's the power of life and death as the Godfather. Um, that was a really important, powerful image there with that guy begging him to save him in the afterlife. And then um, the line, uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted from, because I was looking for that quote. Uh, what was what were you saying about uh, Tom? I got distracted. Uh, about no, about Tom. Well, Tom is uh, after, after. I'm sorry, you were talking about Sonny. Excuse me. Sorry. Well, uh, just Sonny. Sonny really selling. Well, not selling Vito out, but but screwing him uh, by showing that he was hot for the deal instead of just being. You know, if if uh, Salazzo saw saw that there was a unified front at that meeting right there, they might have to think twice about how they're going to approach to uh, to really right. muscle the Corleones into doing what they wanted because they didn't have the muscle. They didn't have the muscle at the time to take them on, but if they cut off the head, uh, then they think that there might be something underneath that they can work with. But yeah, exactly. Uh, this is kind of inadvertently Sonny's fault. Yes, I mean, you know that this wouldn't have happened probably, or you could argue like you're saying had not uh sonny blurted out the greed, greedy intentions and that's why video Vito immediately says this younger generation's too greedy yeah no respect no they don't have any respect they blurt out they don't let the elders so again we have this going away from the older traditions right you shouldn't be speaking out like this in the presence of your elders you need to have respect all of the older generation people have immense amounts of respect and that's why they were called the men of respect in, in Sicily, right? The, the Dons were called the, the men of respect. And even when Don Corleone is picking out his fruit, he doesn't pick his fruit. He points at it. Mm-hmm. It makes a point to say that because it's a sign of disrespect if you're the, you know, fruit man and you're the fruit cart guy and you didn't pick up the fruit for the Don. So Sonny represents this younger uh, uh greedy you know ruled by their passions generation that doesn't have the ability to have to stop and to think wisely and like you said from the very get-go we saw that he can't control himself not only can he not control himself in terms of his temper but also because he sleeps with you know somebody else's wife at the wedding he's cheating on his wife cheating on his wife with the uh, the maid of honor for yep. his his sister his sister so no self control right none none and you know uh, and that brings us to well obviously Tom there's that famous you know Tom was kidnapped and and all that uh, really really high uh, intensity um, scenes with him and he and Salazzo obviously there's also the the looming question of where Luca Brazzi is of course we know that uh, if he hasn't been heard from in so long and he hasn't heard the news man something must be wrong and that is really at the end of where we are at the at the at the, at the last of chapter 4 it's going to get really really hot now now before we get into what we're where we're going to read next i want to get into the the thread there's only a couple of things that have been put here so we should be able to get through this in no time and um, and then we can we can wrap up for the session 1 because session 2 is going to be sick this is from Uh, The Ghost of Daniel Parker says, What stands out to me after reading the first couple of chapters of The Godfather is the focus on sex. 
perhaps a more precise term would be fertility. It's the job of the patriarch to regulate the sexual activities of his family to ensure responsible reproduction. The most obvious means a father has to accomplish this is to have his children, especially his daughters, marry. In the very first chapter, the main scene is the marriage of Don Corleone's daughter. At the wedding, the baker requests that Don helps his daughter Italian boyfriend become an American citizen that they can marry. The father had earlier expressed to his wife a concern that his daughter is going to get pregnant out of wedlock. In the case of The Undertaker, he is angry because the two young men attacked his daughter and permanently disfigured her, thus making her less attractive to potential husbands. The men are barely punished for this great crime committed against his family, and he goes to the Don for justice. To be in control of his family's sexual activities, the patriarch himself, most of all, must be in control of his sexual urges. Puzo establishes that Don Corleone is such a man. When Johnny Fontaine is entertaining guests at the wedding with the singing of love songs, the Don is not interested, unlike his wife. Um... Later, Tom Hagen attempts to hide that the Turk is involved in prostitution. Puzo once again writes that the Don is notoriously straight-laced in the matters of sex. The complete opposite of the Don is Johnny Fontaine, who is a sexual libertine. Um, Fontaine is sexually obsessed with his whorish Hollywood wife. He has left his first wife and children for her. To the godfather, Johnny is a fool. Um, Here's the quote, You lived like a fool, and you have come to a fool's end. Uh, he tells Johnny to be a man, which it means to be a responsible father. A man who is not a father to his children can never be a real man. And then not quite as sexually debauched as Johnny, but nevertheless a man who is completely in control of his passions as the Don's eldest son, Sonny. Sonny is most known for his hot temper and his massive, huge sexual organ. It is established early in the novel that he does not possess the self-control necessary to succeed his father, which is, which is something. Which is really something that, uh, because in the movie, you just assume that if Sonny lives, he's going to be the Don. And, uh, but in, anyway, yes, I have some other thoughts, but I'll leave it to that for now. Thanks for reading Ghosts of Daniel Parker. Really great stuff. Can I add something to that? Please, go ahead. Yeah, one thing that's important there, that goes back to the bloodline stuff. Because how you uh, pass off your sons and daughters is going to be very important for making those alliances for the children that will be produced, the future generations that will run this dynasty, this empire. So again, the Dawn is a very old world figure who understands that power and the need to regulate and have self-control because he's older, he's wiser, he's that older generation. And the the younger generations, again, uh, don't have that, except that it looks like Michael might have that. Yes. Uh, We don't know that yet, but obviously he's, we know he's going to be the heir apparent. And I wanted to say too that the... Tatalia uh, offer of joining in with the heroin trade is also historically accurate. That was actually aligned with in, the intelligence agencies going to the organized crime networks, particularly the CIA and the OSS through Paul Hellier. Uh, uh, Paul Hellowell came up with the idea uh, that's detailed in the Gladio book to reach out to organized crime to be the, me- the, the funding mechanism for a lot of the black ops particularly Gladio, which would utilize the Vatican Bank, hence the necessity of reaching out to uh, a lot of these organized crime figures. So Mm. Gladio plays a key role in this. It was funded by that heroin trade, and the intelligence agencies needed the organized crime figures to help run that, that trade. So it's not just the novel doesn't go into this, but we later find out in terms of geopolitical histories that are written about it, um, it's not just 
that organized crime is getting turned down by the dawn it's it's significant that it's the establishment it's the pentagon and, and the navy even and the, yeah. and the oss and the cia that want the families involved in this to help patriotism further right they, they want they, they play on the patriotism here ironically in the in the real world right in the gladio operation uh to fund their operations and this ends up uh, ironically being a, a stepping stone to a lot of the organized crime eventually having a downfall yeah even though we don't they don't know that at this time but eventually by the time of Gotti and other figures right that's where we start to see the downfall yeah and then that is that downfall and the major rising up aside from prohibition era um but also all throughout world war ii if it weren't for uh luciano and and other and other figures i mean sicily became a major staging ground for allied forces um exactly retaking and and that was all that was all with the assistance of uh the La Cosa Nostra, so that it's it's yeah. uh, it's it's incredible. So there's a lot of early. You know about Operation Underworld, right? Operation? No, no, not not the details of it. No. Yeah, that's that's well, that's this basically. That's what it it's is. The Navy and the the deep state basically making alliances with uh, organized crime in the U.S. So, it's it's that. Typically- Huh. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's overseas. Do, do they do they include even the um, the work that was done over here in like New York Harbor, the shipyards? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, yeah, that's 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 part of Underworld. Also, um, another key figure that will be uh, coded is the, the figure of Meyer Lansky. Meyer Lansky plays a key role with Lucky Luciano in organizing the families together. Um, that I think had, that had just occurred prior to where the narrative in the book is so the five families has already been organized because that's that's mentioned as you know that there might be a war between the corleones and, the, and sonny says i'll go to war with all the five families with all the families yeah so um that had just recently kind of been organized i think in the 30s or 40s i think with uh meyer and lucky luciano setting that up all up in maybe it was 19 even maybe even 1931 um, I forget the exact year. But. And Meyer Lansky is probably um, that's probably the, the uh, who becomes Hyman Roth. In yeah, uh, in the in the book, he's Hyman Roth. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, over here on uh, Robert Solorio on the the thread, there's only two more th- uh, things here. Um, he says, "Has anyone ever wrote a list of Don Corleone's wisdom?" And he put together a whole bunch of wonderful quotes. I'm glad that he did this. And I hope throughout the the book, somebody else does this as well. Just quotes. Page 19, when a man was generous, when a man was generous, he must show the generosity as personal. Uh, Page 26, you never armed yourself with true friends. Page 31, you can start by acting like a man. Page 32, you live like a fool and have come to a fool's end. Here's another one. A man who is not a father to his children can never be a real man. Page 33, you let women dictate your actions and they are not competent in this world. Another one. Friendship is everything. More than talent. More than government. Almost the equal of family. Page 46. A lawyer with a briefcase can steal more than 100 men with guns. Oh, don't we know. Page 50. Never get angry. Never make a threat. Reason with people. Also, a, uh, a glossary for us non-Italians, Finocchio means homosexual. That's why he says, this is how you turn out, a Hollywood Finocchio who cries like a woman. Uh, infamita, 
uh, that is a heinous act against the family. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So there, there's some really great quotes there. I'm, I'm wrong. It's 1946. Uh, Lucky Luciano hosts the Havana Conference, and that's where the uh, families are all organized in the reorganization scheme of Lucky Luciano and Meyer Lansky. There you have Havana, Cuba, big, uh, and in uh, in uh, probably at the end of this book, if yep, we'll see, yep. yeah, we'll get in the there. Memory. Yep. Uh, let's see here. NJSF. This is the last one we have here. It says I appreciate the initial setup for the request of the wedding day. It gave depth to the conversation with the Don, both what was at stake for the requesters and the insight of the Don, from the court scene to Johnny Fontaine waiting for his wife. Uh, friendship, loyalty, honor, righteousness are clearly on display as fundamental values. And the scene where that is uh, clearest is at the deathbed of Consigliere Jenko uh, Abandando. And before that exchange with the doctor, with the Don, diffuses the doctor's arrogance. One of the daughters asked timidly, Dr. Kennedy, can we go see him now? Dr. Kennedy looked over to the large group with exasperation. Didn't these people realize that the man inside was dying and dying in torturous pain? It would be much better if everyone left him to die in peace. And then, of course, he says, my dear doctor, said Don Corleone, is, this, uh, is it true he's dying? Yes. Yes, said Dr. Kennedy. Then there's nothing more for you to do, said Don Corleone. We'll take up the burden. We will comfort him. We will close his eyes. We will bury him and weep at his funeral. And afterwards, we will watch over his life, wife and daughters. At, the he- at hearing this put so bluntly, forcing her to understand, Mrs. Abandando began to weep. Dr. Kennedy shrugged. It was impossible to explain to these peasants. At the same time, he recognized the crude justice in the man's remarks. His role was over. So it's things like that. Um, there, there is something to the use of language here in reasoning with people. Um, I think that really the Italian word for reasoning, they say, uh, means to rejoin. And uh, it's a, it's an it's in, interesting thing, I guess, to rejoin the reality. What, what what is that? When you're being unreasonable, you're you're kind of just drifting away. And I, I like how quiet, quiet and peaceful he is with his logic, and that uh, it diffuses a lot. And like we said before, if all three of his sons could be combined into one person, then uh, he'd have a really good heir. To, uh, to pass the, the family business along to, but he's only one person, and obviously uh, no one like him, the Don. So Vito Genovese worked uh, with the Navy and the Army. He was actually the chief translator for the U.S. Army headquarters in Naples, and he assisted uh, you know allies in their efforts. Thanks to the media success of the invasion, Lucky Luciano actually became the subject of massive media hype, which culminated in radio broadcaster Walter Winchell proclaiming lucky uh, should receive the congressional medal of honor now in 1946 lucky luciano arrived in his hometown of sicily where he received a hero's welcome and then it says the uh half of the people that i met in sicily were in the mafia lucky later uh, commented and by half the people i mean half of the cops too in sicily it goes like this mafia is first then family then your business and then the mafia again in october the request of u.s intelligence agents led to Lucky traveling to Cuba, where he met with Frank Costello, Vito Genovese, Albert Anastasia, and Meyer Lansky to discuss the Hellowell plan, which was the OSS plan to sell drugs to fund anti-communist operations, AKA Gladio. Um, Just a couple more points here. It says, present where people like Mike Miranda, Joseph Magliotko, 
Joe Adonis, Tommy Lucchese, Joe Profacci, Willie Moretti, Vachetti brothers, the heirs to the Al Capone <clears throat> outfit, and Santo Traficante, all important members at that time of the American Mafia. The conference was held at the Hotel Nacional, where Frank Sinatra made his Havana singing debut <laughs> in honor of Lucky Luciano. And then it talks about how they made the decision that they would sell the narcotics to certain groups. This it's became only- known as Operation X. And then while Bill Donovan uh, steps in to play a key role after uh, Hellowell sets it up. So that's pr- really important to the chapter that we just read and ended there with the character of uh, the Turk uh, offering that offer because again all this is like straight out of what was actually going on in history and that hotel nacional meeting is what is parodied in the movie when they go to havana and it's right before the revolution and in godfather 2 if you remember right they're having that discussion between and even says united fruit company that that means cia so yeah that was the cutouts front company so the CIA, the OSS, they're there with Meyer Lansky. They're there with these corporations and with the mobsters. And Michael is there in the movie in part two to make sure to figure out what cut they're going to get. And so we begin to see a change in the structure, right, in Godfather 2 with yeah. Michael. But the book, I don't think the book is going to go in that direction, right? I don't know. I, I, this is the first time I'm reading through it. Okay. Uh, but I, okay. but I, what I have read that the, that the source material for what would become part one and part two were from the Godfather, the, the first okay. book. Yeah. So I, I'm assuming that we're going to get that. And I love that, that line in Godfather 2 when he's out there in Havana and he's with Hyman Roth and... Um, and he say uh, he was talking about the revolutionaries he saw on the streets that was uh you know to uh he said i i saw somebody you know um i saw somebody confront the police and instead of giving himself up he uh he blew himself up with a grenade and hyman roth is just like you uh well what's the pro- there's always problems like that he goes, what's the problem and he said well it occurs to me that uh when when people are willing to do that for a cause that they can win. And, and of course, you know, uh, New Year's Day, I think it's 1958, yep. 1959, all of a sudden, you know, the, the revolution is, uh, is complete. And from there, we're talking about embargoes. We're talking about a lot of things there. And it's, uh, you know, the Havana was going to be the next Las Vegas, as you know. Yeah, they were, they were going to make it like Miami and make it this, like, yep. desti- a, a vacation resort destination. Everybody was going to profit from it. Um, the real meeting of the Hotel Nacional was about drugs and also that that stuff too. Mm. But uh, I don't I don't know if they mentioned drugs in the movie. I, don't, I can't I don't, remember. I don't know either. I, I really don't know. Um, uh, and I think that's I think that's the end of this over here. Oh, here one okay. one last thing from uh, NJSF says one example of the talent of Puzo composing the scenes to me was when Sonny went to his father's house after the gun down. You need nothing more than the last statement to put yourself at that home. Ma, where are you? And his mother came out of the kitchen. Behind her rose the smell of frying peppers. I know that smell. I love that smell. I love being stained by that smell. And, uh, yeah, that put me at ease as well. The fact that he made himself a sandwich uh, right off the bat. And um, I can I can just sop up some of that oil with some, some good bread. Oh, man, it's good. Now, I, I would say... It ta- I mean, I breeze through these pages. So what I'm thinking is, let's go from chapter five all the way to the beginning of book three. So for me, it's page 89 to page 
180. I, I want to do like 90 something pages because it just it hell yeah. I don't want to So just another 100 pages. Yeah. That's yeah, let's just okay. let's just go sure. from page chapter 5 to the the very end of of book 2. You're looking at the page of book 3. That's where we stop. Yeah, it's basically 100 pages for me. Okay. All right. Well, well, okay, so then listen, um I'll be looking into the thread. Everybody, uh, let me go into the chat room real quick. Um, top trip triangle, uh, Muslim. Well, anyway, did everybody in the, in the chat room like it? Go ahead. How'd you like it so far? I'm excited for the second round. Jay, if there isn't anything else, then we will convene this um, this session, and we will. Yeah, and I didn't even realize that uh, you were giving me the link for the video for the subscribers next time i'll send this out to all my subscribers and then they can come to the live chat as well i didn't even think about that absolutely yeah yeah any it's it's you know it's exclusive so i i want you to be able to uh to uh to, to do that for your your supporters as well so we can combine There'd well a, a lot of them will want to come to the live chat i mean i, I gate like brave new world they got access to the all yeah. the parts but um they'd like to be in your live chat too i imagine so absolutely I'll send them a link next time that'd be great all right man well a lot of people awesome like it so far so good very good uh so freaking good liked it very much great great then read to the to the beginning of book three and in the meantime you can email me quite frankly podcast gmail.com uh jay will be stopping by as usual and uh session two will be next monday at 8 30 p.m jay thanks for everything man absolutely thank you man it was a lot of fun appreciate it absolutely good night you too you too all right, ladies and gents, again, thank you so much. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be on our way. We'll be on our way. Who knows where it all goes, but it's going to be fun. Night, night. See you soon.